way, my fear vanished. My heart opened wide and took him in, as gathering the bent head in my arms, as freely as if he had been a little child. I said, Let me help you bear it, John. Never on any human countenance have I seen so swift and beautiful a look of gratitude, surprise, and comfort as that which answered me more eloquently than the whispered, Thank you, ma'am. This is right good. This is what I wanted. Then why not ask for it before? I didn't like to be a trouble. You seemed so busy, and I could manage to get on alone. You shall not want it any more, John. Nor did he. For now I understood the wistful look that sometimes followed me as I went out after a brief pause beside his bed or merely a passing nod, while busied with those who seemed to need me more than he, because more urgent in their demands. Now I knew that to him, as to so many, I was the poor substitute for mother, wife, or sister, and in his eyes no stranger, but a friend who hitherto had seemed neglectful, for in his modesty he had never guessed the truth. This was changed now, and through the tedious operation of probing, bathing, and dressing his wounds, he leaned against me, holding my hand fast, and if pain wrung further tears from him, no one saw them fall but me. When he was laid down again, I hovered about him, in a remorseful state of mind that would not let me rest till I had bathed his face, brushed his bonny brown hair, set all things smooth about him, and laid a knot of heath and heliotrope on his clean pillow. While doing this, he watched me with the satisfied expression I so liked to see, and when I offered the little nosegay, held it carefully in his great hand, smoothed a ruffled leaf or two, surveyed and smelt it with an air of genuine delight, and lay contentedly regarding the glimmer of the sunshine on the green. Although the manliest man among my forty, he said, Yes, ma'am, like a little boy, received suggestions for his comfort with the quick smile that brightened his whole face, and now and then, as I stood tidying the table by his bed, I felt him softly touch my gown, as if to assure himself that I was there. Anything more natural and frank I never saw, and found this brave John as bashful as brave, yet full of excellences and fine aspirations, which, having no power to express themselves in words, seemed to have bloomed into his character and made him what he was. After that night, an hour of each evening that remained to him was devoted to his ease or pleasure. He could not talk much, for breath was precious, and he spoke in whispers, but from occasional conversations I gleaned scraps of private history which only added to the affection and respect I felt for him. Once he asked me to write a letter, and as I settled pen and paper, I said, with an irrepressible glimmer of feminine curiosity, "'Shall it be addressed to wife or mother, John?' "'Neither, ma'am. I've got no wife.' and will write to mother myself when I get better. 
Did you think I was married because of this? He asked, touching a plain ring he wore, and often turned thoughtfully on his finger when he lay alone. Partly that, but more from a settled sort of look you have, a look which young men seldom get until they marry. I don't know that, but I'm not so very young, ma'am. Thirty in May, and have been what you might call settled this ten years. For mother's a widow. I'm the oldest child she has, and it wouldn't do for me to marry until Lizzie has a home of her own, and Laurie's learned his trade. For we're not rich, and I must be father to the children and husband to the dear old woman if I can. No doubt, but you are both, John. Yet how came you to go to war if you felt so? Wasn't enlisting as bad?